Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. But are you ready for a little exercise this morning? We're not going to remain there. We're going to walk around a little bit. A little morning calisthenics. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Vivian, can you show that video, that first video? A scandal at a post office on Long Island. A postal worker in Nassau County under investigation tonight after 60 huge bags of undelivered mail were removed from his home. How long has this been going on? And more importantly, why? Lots of people want answers this evening. Eyewitness News reporter Michelle Charlesworth is live at the scene in the hamlet of Belmore. Michelle? Well, a United States Postal Service of, uh, official has confirmed to me that people in this area of Belmore had been complaining that their mail was being mishandled. He also says this is an active investigation, no arrests, no charges. What he did is terrible. But when you mail something, you think... I think it's going where it's supposed to go, and I always mail things. Neighbors in Belmore are horrified by the volume of bags they saw taken away, reportedly filled with mail that allegedly never was delivered. Put the mail in the post office. Put the mail to the customers. That's where it's supposed to go. It's not supposed to go in the shed. Neighbors <laughs> also say from this second-floor window, members of the fire department next door could see the man moving mysterious bags to a back shed. The inspector general of the U.S. Postal Services confirms this is an active investigation, and people know this to be a sacred promise that in good faith, mail always gets delivered. The iconic unofficial motto comes to mind that neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from their rounds. (laughs) Okay. Okay, full disclosure. Uh, For over 30 years, I worked for the Postal Service. So I'm allowed to show a video like that. I delivered mail. I walked a route. And every day I'd spend a couple hours in the morning. We would sort and load and prepare for the day. And then when all the preparation was done, I'd go out on the road, take my truck out, and I'd start walking. And I'd start delivering the mail. I'm pretty sure if I sat in the truck for eight hours and went back to the office with a full truck full of mail, my bosses would have something to say about it. And I'm sure if I stashed... Did you see all the bags of mail? I'm sure if I stashed all those bags in my shed, uh, I'd be probably on the evening news at that point. Same thing in our relationship with God. You see, we were created, in that verse in Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should what? We should walk in them. We must walk in the purpose that God has for us. Or else we'll just be sort of stockpiling our knowledge of God and never delivering on the plan that he has for us. He's got a unique plan and purpose for each and every person. And we all know, we've heard, the physical health benefits of walking. It's been touted for, for decades, for centuries. Thomas Jefferson said, walking is the best possible exercise. Hippocrates said, walking is man's best medicine. And Henry David Thoreau said, an early morning walk is a blessing for the whole day. How many of you know that? That just getting out and just breathing the fresh air, especially early in the morning, it's quiet, you just hear the birds. It's just a blessing. It's a great way to start your day, physically and sometimes mentally too. Today we're going to kind of take a walk through the Bible. We're going to take a look at the word walk and how it's used in a lot of different instances from a biblical perspective. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about our spiritual health and the benefits that we receive when we walk with God. We'll see how God encourages us to exercise our faith and walk with a purpose. In Genesis 13, One of the first mentions of this word walk in the Bible as God is giving this awesome promise to Abraham and to his descendants. At that point, Abram, his name hasn't been changed yet. It says in verses 17 and 18, Arise, God says, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. How awesome is it that we have right in the beginning of the Bible a great example of somebody taking that purpose that God has given to him and actually walking in faith, actually doing it. God says, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. This is confirmation from God to Abram that God will fulfill that promise to him. He was saying to Abram, look, I promised to give you the land of Canaan. Now, step out in faith like you believe me, like you trust me. And it was a challenge to Abram because just a chapter earlier, God tells him to go to a place which I will show you. A place which I will show you. God didn't tell Abram where he was going to go. He just said, go to a place which I will show you. He didn't say, go to a place which I have shown you. That takes real faith. That takes trust in God. But isn't that most of the time how he works in our lives? He doesn't really lay out the whole plan, the whole map of our lives in front of us. He just says, he just puts something in our hearts, right? And then he says, go. He says, walk. Trust me. Trust me. And when we are in his will, when we're walking in the plan that he has, the purpose for our lives, we can trust him. 
we can trust him. In the same way that God told Abram, God wants us also to explore that which he's already given to us. Although we have yet to possess it, he wants us to walk through this life grabbing hold of it by faith. Jesus told us in John 10.10 that I have come that they may have life. You see, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. Just like God promised to Abram that abundance in the land, Jesus promises an abundant life to each and every one of us. But God wants us to trust him and to walk in it, to exercise our faith. In Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 4, we see another example here of that word walk. It says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. What an awesome promise of God to bless the obedience of his people. See, God created us for really for his good pleasure, right? That he would be glorified through our lives. But isn't it awesome how it works out that whatever is God's good pleasure is also beneficial to us. See, when we do God's will, it's always best for us. Obedience to his word is always best. We see throughout the Old Testament that special relationship that God had between him and the nation of Israel. And because of that special relationship, there were unique expectations and responsibilities on the part of the people. Think about it. If you have a real close relationship with someone else, yet there are expectations in that relationship, aren't there? You would have a sense of responsibility toward that person. That's what makes for a good relationship. Same thing with God. And God tells his people that his blessings will be poured out as they walk in his commandments, as they're obedient to him. And this is twofold. First, because God is love, and he just desires to bless us. He wants to shower his love down upon us because that's who he is. And he's always looking for ways to bless us. And we may not really even understand sometimes that it's happening. I believe, though, when we look back on our lives, and I know many of you have done this, I've done this, look back on our lives, we can see God's hand upon us through those times. And we may not have realized at the time that God is blessing us. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're on the road and you're, and you're trying to get to a destination, Right, and a traffic jam comes up, and then you, you find out that there's an accident ahead, and you start to say, oh, I'm going to be late. I can't believe this is happening. And instead, maybe you, you should look at that and say, well, first of all, pray for the people, right? And thank God for blessing you that you weren't 
involved in that accident too. See, we, sometimes we have to just shift our perspective a little bit and understand that God wants to bless us. Sometimes we don't quite get it. We don't see the blessings when they come, but sometimes we have to look back. Another reason for God just wanting, desiring to bless us is so the unbelieving world would see, and in that day, in the, the, the nations that surrounded Israel in that time, see that Israel was being blessed, and they were prosperous, and their lives were abundant, and that they could look and see that the God of Israel was blessing his people. Because God ultimately gets glory when we are blessed. So that people around us can see that our God is a good God, a gracious God, a loving God. And that's a testimony to the world around us. So in the same way God wants to bless our lives as we walk in his commandments, as we are obedient to him. And a lot of times our circumstances may not look like blessing in our lives. But remember, a perspective shift will show us that really, apart from God, nothing good can come our way. Imagine if our, what our lives would look like if God just removed his hand of blessing on us. It says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Anything good in your life is from God. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And how encouraging that is in this world that's always changing that God never changes. That God never changes. Just like he did three, four thousand, five thousand years ago to bless his people, he wants to bless you today. And he will do that as we walk in the purpose that he has for our lives. And we can't ever look at anything we do in this life without recognizing the eternal consequences of our actions. Every time we walk in God's ways, it has kingdom significance. Kingdom significance. But look, we're talking about us walking in God's purpose, right? Exercising our faith. Getting out there and stepping out in, in faith and, and trust and belief in God. But look at the reciprocal part of that in Leviticus 26.12. God says, I will walk among you. I will walk among you and be your God. And you shall be my people. Now we got a partner. Now we have a partnership with God. Now we're walking together in this world. Now when you step out in faith, you're not doing it alone. God is with you. He's walking with you through this journey called life. You're never, ever, ever alone. This is the promise of God's presence. The promise of God's presence in our life as we are obedient to his word. 
That's an awesome thing. We are never, ever alone. James 4.8 gives us the intimacy of this. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? I have a puppy named Molly. And she can't get close enough to me as we, as we sit on the couch and try to just relax. She doesn't sit on her part of the couch. She sits on us, next to us, on top of us, behind us, and puts her face right here, right next to mine. It's like, can you get any closer? Can you get any closer? But that's, that's, like, that's like God. It's like a relationship with God. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. How, how great is that? It's been asked by many people over the years, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Guess who moved? What causes that separation between us and God? What causes us to feel far from him. In, in Isaiah 59 too, it kind of gives us the answer to this question. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your iniquities. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Just as awesome as James 4.8 is, that as we draw near to God, right? He'll draw near to us. That's a little scary to think that our iniquities have separated us from God. See, it's never God who moves. It's always us, our sin, which separates us from a holy God. Sin matters, guys. Sin matters. And it's not because it causes God to withdraw from us. Sin matters because it's through that sin that we withdraw from God, isn't it? Isn't that the way it works? Through our sin, we withdraw from God. That's what sin is. It's withdrawal from God to my own will. Instead of walking in his ways, walking in his commandments, exercising our faith and trust in him, we decide we're going to walk in our own ways. We decide we're going to walk in our own desires. And that's what causes that separation between us and God. And we want to be, we should, as Christians, we should want to be fruitful in this life. We should want to produce good fruit for the kingdom that glorifies God. But in order to do that, in order to produce good fruit, what does Jesus tell us in John 15? He says, abide in me, right? Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That word abide It means to remain, to not to depart, to be present, to be near, 
That's what it means to abide. As we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us, abiding in Jesus so that we can produce fruit that will glorify him. Do you see how it works? We need to remain close. We need to walk hand in hand with God. And remember, as we are obedient, he will walk with us. We will not be alone. We never need to wonder if God is near as long as we remain near to God. We never have to wonder. It's all up to us. And as we continue through this spiritual kind of exercise program, who we walk with, who we walk with in this world will also have consequences. As we saw that as we abide with Jesus Christ, as we remain close to him and walk with God, it'll be fruitful, it'll be, it'll be glorifying to him, and it will be beneficial to us. But on the negative side, listen, we can walk in darkness, right? We can walk in the way of evil, the Bible says. Sometimes when we, we become Christians, sometimes we have to reevaluate our associations, I know a lot of you have spoken to me personally about that. And I've had to reevaluate some associations. See, as Christians, we're supposed to be salt and light in this world. Salt and light, right? That means we're supposed to have an impact on others for the kingdom. We are supposed to have an impact on the world. But sometimes... Don't we get influenced by the world, by our associations? Don't we get influenced sometimes into making really bad decisions, bad choices? Because instead of us being salt and light, we allow others to influence us. The Bible warns us about this in several different places, speaking of unhealthy spiritually unhealthy associations. And sometimes they could be physically unhealthy associations. Think about that, too. But in Proverbs 1.10, in great wisdom literature in the Old Testament, a lot of practical things to walk in this world. It says, My son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. That sounds easy. Do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not consent. Practical stuff. In verse 15, it says, My son, do not walk in the way of them. Keep your foot from their path. See, a lot of times we see two paths in front of us, right? A lot of times in our life, even on a day-to-day basis, sometimes we see two ways we can go. And there's one way that's God's way. And then there's somebody here influencing us to go another way. Keep your foot from their path, the Bible says. See, these are all action things that we can do, that we should do as believers. This is how we exercise our faith. This is how we step out 
in this world and make a real difference for the kingdom of God. When God was given the law to Moses, his command was in Exodus 23, verse 2. He says, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You know, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, but he also gave them gave him a lot of practical things, day-to-day living things to do. Sounds to me like sort of a mob mentality, right? Following, following a crowd to do evil. Sometimes we've seen videos of a crowd just starting to get stirred up and then all of a sudden, what hap- everything breaks out. Yeah, I read an article on mob mentality when I was, when I was preparing. And just a, a little excerpt from it says, when a group of people has assembled because they're emotional and angry about something, it only takes one act of violence to whip the crowd into a fury. Others will follow the initial rioters' lead and begin destroying property or hurting people. A lot of research has been conducted into the mindset of a violent mob. Being part of a group can destroy people's inhibitions, making them, listen to this, making them do things they'd never otherwise do. We've seen that. We've seen that. We've seen videos in a mall of people just getting stirred up because they submit to that mob mentality. They follow a crowd to do evil. We need to be able to think on our own two feet, Christians. We need to be able to make decisions that we know are honoring and glorifying to God. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we have a lot of influences coming in from the outside in our lives. But we need to be able to stand for what we believe and we know is right. Practical teaching through the Bible and how to walk. How to walk in this life. Moving into the New Testament, you know, it never, it never changed, really. and It hasn't changed even today. The Apostle Paul had to write to the Corinthian church, well, about a lot of problems. But um, they had a lot of problems just living day to day for God. In the, and, and it was mostly because a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were living in such a godless culture. You know, and, and, and when we look around us in our, in, our, in our nation or in the world, and, and, you know, we didn't hear anything different from Bob and Magda when they were telling us about their ministry and their mission work in Europe. The culture is decadent. The culture is poised against God. And yet we're here, right? We're, we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of it just like the Corinthian church was. But what did Paul write to them? He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? There is none. His words to the church in Corinth are certainly applicable to us today, aren't they? It's so easy to be influenced by the culture. And even social media can kind of 
pull you, right? Pull you in a direction. I, I usually, I'm more of an observer on social media than I am an active participant because um, I, I start to see, I, maybe I see a post that looks interesting and I start to look at the comments and boy, wow, they go, they, they just go south real quick. Even the local, I mean, just local posts, local groups. And so I say, okay, well, I'm not going to comment on, on this, but I'm not going to get pulled in, right? Pulled into this, you know, because I don't want to have to have a, a fight, fight a Facebook war, so to speak, right? And that's what happens. We can get pushed, we can get pulled to compromise, That idea of being unequally yoked, again, has a practical basis in Deuteronomy 22 as, again, God's giving direction to the people. In 22, verse 10, he says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. What's this idea? What's this idea? As they yoke the two beasts together, right? Being unequally yoked would, would speak of two things here that are not equal. Two things that are not equal. This was not as much an agricultural law by God. This was more a moral law by God. But speaking practically and in the fields, when you, when you yoke an ox and a donkey together, they'll probably walk at different speeds, Right? They might have a different stride. And they might even go in two different directions. Now imagine that. You put a yoke on two two beasts and they try to go in two different directions. You're not going to get very far in plowing your fields. God is trying to prevent us. See, when we're obedient to his commands, they're always good for us. They're always good for us. God is trying to prevent us from becoming pulled, kind of pulled in the direction of the world, linking ourselves with the world and being pulled away from God. Letting the world influence us instead of us influencing the world. And one last word on that, because I think it's really very important in the the culture that we live in that we really hit hard on this point. But one last thing. We all would like to believe that we can be around ungodly things and we're going to be strong enough to overcome their influence. We would all like to believe that we can hang around with people who are going to pull us away from God and we'll be able to resist it, right? We all like to believe we're strong enough. The New Testament kind of tells us otherwise. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, what does Paul write? See, we can be deceived, right? We can get fooled into thinking we're strong enough. But what does he say? Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. So you may have the best of intentions. You may truly believe that you and God are tight 
You're close. That he's going he's gonna to be there. But you know, when you start to walk in a different direction, all of a sudden, that evil company that you're associating with can start to corrupt you. And maybe those good habits that they start to corrupt, just maybe your daily time with the Lord. Maybe they decide they want to go out and do something every day and you say, okay, well, that's, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll find other time to be with, with God. And you start to get caught up in that. You start to allow them to corrupt your good habits. Don't allow that. Don't allow that. Bible also tells us how to walk, right? How to walk. And one thing that I'm going to really point out here, God hates pride. You know, we say that God is love, but there are certain things that he hates. It says so in the Bible. He hates pride. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, it says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, even seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a proud look is the first one there. See, and, and we sometimes think, well, what's so bad about being proud? You know? And some pride is, is, is not bad. Pride in certain things are okay. Like pride in a job done well. You can take pride in that. Because it says in the Bible, everything you do, do it to glorify God. So when you do your job well and take pride in that, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Pride in someone else's accomplishments. You know, maybe your child is doing really well in school and, and you're proud of him. That's, that's okay. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But self-centered pride, self-absorbed pride is kind of what he's talking about here. This takes the credit that's due God and apply it to yourself. That's the kind of pride that God hates. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked in his proud continence does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Wow. Now that's a pride that God hates. When you disregard God, when he's not even in your thoughts, when you've done some awesome thing and you take all the credit knowing that it's God who allowed you to accomplish that. God has given you the gifts and abilities. God has given you the talent and the opportunity. And you take the credit on yourself. But we see also what God does desire for us and from us in a relationship with him. And I love this, I love this verse in Micah. 6, 8. You want to know what is good? You want to know what God requires of us? You want to know what is pleasing to God? Well, it says here, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly. Walk humbly with your God. We're talking today about walking in a purpose that the Lord has in our lives. 
Micah, very interesting book here, records kind of the ups and downs of the nation of Israel as they obey and then disobey and then God has to uh, bring uh, charges against them, so to speak. Charges of idolatry, charges of rebellion against the nation. But isn't it true throughout all human history that we sometimes rebel against God? But remember, God always gives us a way out, doesn't he? He always gives us a way out as we trust in him. He says in that verse, do justly, do justly. That's just treating others the way you would want to be treated. That's kind of the golden rule. Do justly. And then love mercy. Love mercy. Now the difference here is it's not just showing mercy, but it's actually really being passionate about pouring mercy out on other people. Why? Because God has shown us so much mercy, hasn't he? And that's kind of, our, like kind of the overflow. Spurgeon tells us, that humility is in the heart. And it will come out spontaneously as an overflow of life in every act a man performs. When you act with humility, you'll think of others more highly than yourself. And then walking humbly, walking humbly with God. Not in pride, not in arrogance. And humility isn't something we put on. It's not an act it's not a facade. It's who we are as believers, as children of God. Humility is who we are. Thirty-one times the Apostle Paul, speaking of walking this out, because again, if we don't walk it out, it's just going to pile up and it's going to become useless for his kingdom. Get that picture of those mailbags in your, in your mind. Don't forget that. Not going to do anyone any good just piling up. We need to walk this out. Vivian, can you switch the, in, in the inputs there? So instructions from Paul. Just a few as we kind of start to wrap this up. Romans 6, verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should what? Walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. See, we identify with Christ. In our baptism, we are buried with, buried with Christ. We are put under the water, right? And then, and then we kind of, Symbolically, we bury the old life, right? And then we come up out of the water and we're raised to newness of life. We're a new creation, the Bible says. And we identify with Christ in that. Romans 13, 13 says, let us walk what? Properly. Let us walk properly. As in the day, not in revelry with drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. See, there's a proper way to walk in this world. 
There's a proper way to walk which glorifies God, right? And these are just a few of those things which do not glorify God. And then, for we walk what? By faith, not by sight. Why? If we walk only according to the things we see, if we only walk according to what we experience, trust me, you'll walk in fear. You'll walk in fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says. We need to trust God as we walk. Walk by faith. Trust him for the things that we don't see. Right? Trust him for the things that we don't understand. And then in Galatians 5.16, I say then what? Walk in the spirit. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. We walk in the Spirit. We can't please God. We can't walk in this world and glorify Him on our own. It's only by the indwelling of the Spirit that we are able to. We're able to walk in a way which pleases Him. Paul continues in Ephesians 5. What does he say? Walk in love. Right? Walk in love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us. What? An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Some of you may have those um, diffusers in the home with uh, like essential oils and um, different fragrances in the bottle. And I, somehow the the aroma gets through those little wooden sticks and out into the room and it kind of permeates, right? That's the whole point to those things. You don't burn them or you don't spray them or anything. And they just kind of, this is what, this is what we're supposed to do. As we walk near people in this world, they're supposed to get a kind of a whiff of Jesus as we pass by. Jesus gets diffused through us in this world. That's how it works. That's how it works. And why? Because we're walking in love. Do you love the way Jesus loves? Are you willing to give all for others? Are you willing to leave that fragrance of Christ, right? Everywhere that you go in this world. That's how it works. Paul continues He has so much to say about walking. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What are we supposed to do? If we were in darkness and now we're in light, are we going to walk in darkness? No. We're going to walk in the light. Walk as children of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. How does that work? Well, we, we don't have light in, our, in ourselves. We kind of reflect Jesus' light, right? That's how we become light in this world, by reflecting the light of Christ. And this world is dark, and it's getting darker, folks. But Jesus tells us that we are the light because he is in us. He is in us. People should see the light of Christ in us. 
Ephesians 5.15 says, see, that, see then that you what? Walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. You don't have to look it up. Carefully. Thoughtfully in this world. We're supposed to walk. We should be deliberate. Christians should be deliberate in what we do. Everything we do, we should give thought. We should give prayer. We should seek the Lord for what he wants for us. And then that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Worthy, worthy. Are we walking worthy of what Jesus Christ did for us? Are we walking worthy of the sacrifice that he gave to redeem us? Are we producing fruit, which is kind of that byproduct, right? We, we spoke about it before, of a close walk, of a, of a close relationship with Jesus. And because of that, we know God better. And isn't that what we're here for? It's been said that our purpose in this life is to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. So that people can grab hold of the hope that is in Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? All right. We're going to close up here. Walking with God walking with God, walking in this world, exercising our faith. It's kind of like walking with a friend, walking with a loved one. Let's say you make an arrangement to go out and take a nice walk in the woods with a friend of yours on a beautiful spring day, and you stay close to that other person, right? You talk, you share with one another. You get to know them better, right? You open up your heart to them. You listen to what they say, right? You, you give them your undivided attention. You put away your cell phones. Or if you go out to dinner with somebody, you know, you might have said no that day to something else, to another invitation. So you could spend time with that person. If you're really serious about nurturing that relationship, you'll put away all the distractions that could come between you, right? Isn't that what you do with somebody you really like, somebody you want to be with? That's what, that's what it's like with God. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to make him the priority in our lives. Set aside all those other things. Spend time with him. Amos 3.3 tells us, asks us this question. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? That's the New Living Translation. The, um, yeah, the New King James, can two walk together unless they are agreed? We need to be agreed with God. We need to agree with him. We need to be walking in the same direction he is and walking in the purpose that he's created for us. Folks, spend time with God. Stay close with God. You know, by nature, 
We're kind of cut off from him. We're separated from him. Why? Because of our sin. Because of our sin. The only way we can be reconciled back to God and and kind of begin this relationship with him is to trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.